Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you along as we wrap up this uh, this look at 1 Corinthians 11, the head covering portion, and we'll move on into some other fun stuff. Uh, before we uh, jump into the text, I want to read a couple of comments uh, to you that came in that I think um, speak well. Well, well, the first one is just this from Peter Woods. Doug, I just wanted to thank you for this channel. This type of dialogue is sadly missing in my church life, and it has always been so frustrating because I have a load of questions to ask and no form to present them. Uh, I love that, and that's exactly what we're trying to do here. And it does sadden me that this doesn't happen more often. And I, I'm not going to just keep beating the, well, I might keep beating the horse <laughs> about the traditional model of church that we just finished a long series on, but there, there isn't a good opportunity for this in the traditional model. Uh, in our home fellowship, this is, this is what we do all the time. We interact, we talk, we dive in. Um, so anyway, thanks for the encouragement there, Peter, and, and I'm glad you're along with us. And I want to encourage all of you, especially those of you in church leadership, but even those who aren't. Uh, see if you can't create a, a, an open environment. There are a lot of folks. I would say most of the folks in our churches want to be able to ask questions and dive in. But if we don't give the opportunity for that, it sort of creates this, you know, the pastor knows everything and we got to listen to him and I have my questions and I'll go look it online or something for them instead of uh, in the church where it ought to be. So Anyway, I appreciate that. Uh, this one just came through. I just saw it before we jumped on here. Uh, this is specifically talking about this series we're doing. It's from uh, Break Free Crew. I'm not sure who that is, but glad you're along. Welcome. He says, I think there is a lot. Well, I'm assuming it's a he. Sorry if it's a she. Uh, I think there is a lot of conjecture with every view I've heard. But the b bottom line is there is a command that is being rejected because of interpretations resting on those conjectures. There is a matter of headship that is an important teaching that must be disregarded if we're going to reject part of it on tradition, cultural aspects. Picking and choosing what is applicable or not in an immediate text is very risky, in my opinion. So I appreciate the sentiment there. And I have no desire whatsoever to set aside, to dismiss portions of scripture. I believe all scripture is inspired and every word of it is binding and applicable upon us. The commands of Christ, uh, he's our Lord, we are to obey them. So I have no desire to simply say, oh, this is cultural and wipe it away. If the Lord Jesus expects us to do this transculturally. However, I agree with you. There is conjecture in every view I've heard, including those views that demand head coverings. And I'm not saying that you are. I don't know. You know, it's, this is the danger of comments like this. I I don't know his motives. I don't know what he's really getting at entirely. So I'm not not accusing him of this. But in but I have been accused of you know dismissing portions of the Bible because I don't require my wife, for instance, wear a head covering or my daughters. And when I ask them to present a case from 1 Corinthians 11 without conjecture that requires head coverings, they can't do it. This is a hard passage. Every view that I have seen, I can poke massive holes in them. 
including the ones that just say, why can't we just take it at face value? Look, it says wear head coverings, so women should wear head coverings. It's not that simple. If I were convinced, I would require my wife to wear a head covering in, in our gatherings. That's, my goal is I have no desire whatsoever to, um, to, under cultural pressure, for instance, to dismiss this kind of thing. I want to obey the scripture. I want my wife to obey the scripture. So uh, again, I, I, it sounds like I'm worked up. I'm not. Just had too much coffee, I think. <laughs> I agree. Conjecture is all over every interpretation of this. I don't think I've, well, I know I haven't. I've never seen an interpretation that doesn't have conjecture. And it seems like people who have their hard, fast conclusions, they just, they just sweep over the, the verses in this section they can't explain. But what they're sure of is you have to do it this way. I've seen it on the other side too. So I, I've seen people who are absolutely committed to the head covering and then uh, they sweep over the verses that are unclear. I've seen people on the other side, of course women don't have to wear head coverings. Of course they don't. And again, they just sweep over the verses as well. What I'm trying to do, and maybe I'm failing, but what I'm trying to do is... Well, I'm trying to understand the text. <laughs> That's the bottom line. And, and there are too many things I don't understand about the text that causes me to say, I, I can't in good conscience require my wife or anybody else to wear a head covering because I'm not convinced that's the point. So with all of that, uh, I appreciate the comments and I agree in general there. And, and what I'm gonna try to do today is give you the best conjecture that I can about what this text is saying and, and get to the principle that I think must be applied and explain the things that I'm not sure are required transculturally and, and across time. So uh, I have three starting assumptions that I admittedly are assuming I can't prove. These come from Dr. Bruce Winter. I, I've mentioned his book before, Roman Wives, Roman Widows. It's what makes the most sense to me. I could be wrong. Let me say that loudly and clearly. I could be wrong about all of these things. And I'm open to correction, but I, I need to see persuasive exegesis, not simply uh, you know, sort of quick hit, hits on this stuff. Um, so my th starting assumptions are threefold. Number one, that in the first century, it was, it, it made it for a woman to be out in public without a head covering, without a, a veil. And there's a, there's a word that Dr. Winter describes that you can look at, but without a, I'll call it a veil for our, our conversation. For a woman to be out in public, a wife, I should say, let me clarify, for a wife to be out in public without a veil said something very loudly. Okay, it was a statement to everybody and everybody understood this. So that's, that's my first assumption. My second assumption is when men went into any kind of a, a religious ceremony, a, a worship setting, uh, even the, you know, the, the idolaters of, of the first century, when men went into a temple to, to pray, to offer sacrifices and so on, they uncovered their head. They, if they had any kind of a uh, you know, tunic pulled up over their head, whatever, there's a name for that as well. Uh, they always took it down when they prayed and offered sacrifices. That was just the custom of the day. Number three is what we talked about yesterday, that the angels 
that Paul's concerned about here are not supernatural spiritual beings, but they are messengers, spies, basically sent from the, the governor to infiltrate gatherings to see if these groups, especially these Christian groups, are, uh, are promoting disruption and, and rebellion among the people. So those are, that, that makes sense to me. It's not persuasive entirely. It's not conclusive, but it, it's, it makes the most sense of this passage for me. So that's, I'm going to walk through the passage and just kind of unpack what that would, what Paul would be saying if that, if those assumptions are true, fully acknowledging that they may not be true. Let me say one more thing. Back to the woman. I said that a woman in public, a wife in public, without her head covered, said something. Uh, Bruce Winter makes a strong case from original sources that that was true. I've said this, right? There was this rebellion of women against their husbands, against the what they regarded as constraints and restrictions upon their behavior, upon their sexual behavior. Uh, there was an expectation that that wives would be submissive to their husbands, that they would be proper, stay at home, take care of the kids. And they were, uh, adultery for a woman was a huge offense. And if she got caught, she would have to shave her head and, and basically say, look, I am acting like a whore. So now I'm going to dress like a whore, head uncovered, head shaved, all this. So I was trying to think, can we, is there any way for us to get a sense of just how significance significant this uh this apparel this the head covering stuff was is there because it's just not in our day it it makes no sense to us here at least in the west so i was trying to think is there any way to to kind of get our 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 heart engaged in this discussion so see if this helps imagine imagine me walking into well let me back up imagine some pop tart like uh you know beyonce or some uh, some celebrity feminist icon woman you know who's uh just living the dream so to speak and and the you know the the, the american rebellious woman um imagine her wearing a t-shirt that said i go where i want i do what i want i have sex with who i want and she wears that on stage, you know, flaunting it around as she's as she's performing. And then she starts marketing them. And so women all over the world are buying these t-shirts that say, I go where I want, I do what I want, I have sex with who I want. And now imagine a bunch of women in your church Sunday morning, when you all gather, a bunch of women walk in wearing those t-shirts. What would their husbands think? What would everybody else think? It would be it would be offensive on every level, wouldn't it? But especially their husbands would just feel so degraded, disrespected, right? Your wife walks in flaunting this t-shirt, I go where I want, I do what I want, I have sex with who I want. If I'm understanding Bruce Winter's argument, well, that's kind of what the uncovered wife was saying when she came to 
a group and didn't have her head covered. So let's let's walk through the text and see if we can uh, gather anything here. So he says, uh, this is Paul. Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand, I want you to know, Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of a woman. God is the head of Christ. So we've been over this hierarchy, authority, headship. God is at the top. He's the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man slash husband. Man slash husband is head of woman slash wife. Right? That's that's clear. We'll we'll come back to that at the end. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So in that day, in that culture, man who goes into any religious setting, he uncovers his head. Otherwise, it's regarded as offensive to his head. As I was trying to think, you know, how could we illustrate that? It, it, I don't know. Maybe this is not helpful. But for me, I kind of get the idea of be like going into a temple and you get on your knees to pray, giving the middle finger to the idol that you're praying to. Uh, if that's the kind of thing that was communicated with a man covering his head in, in, in idol worship and that kind of thing, if that was the stigma attached to it, then you could see Paul saying, look, when you gather and you're praying and prophesying to God, everybody's going to be distracted and offended if a man prays with his head covered, because in our day, in our culture, you don't do that. That's like giving the middle finger to, to the gods. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Who's her head? Her husband. So if she takes off her veil while she's praying or prophesying, she disgraces her husband. Why? Because she's one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved, the prostitute, the whore. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off but if it's disgraceful for a woman to have her head cut off or her head shaved, again, that's, that's what prostitutes did. That's what adulterous women were required to do if they got caught. If, if that's true, then don't associate with those kind of women. Women, cover your head. Take off the t-shirt that says, I go where I want, I do what I want, I have sex with whoever I want. Take that off. Don't disrespect your husband this way. For a man is obligated, literally, not to have his co head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So the man needs to wear the appropriate attire that is honoring to God. In this case, uncover the head. The woman is the glory of man, therefore she needs to wear the proper attire to show honor and respect to her husband, so she needs to wear the veil. She needs to take off the vulgar, vulgar t-shirt. Why, Paul? For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. All right, appealing here to Adam and Eve, uh, God made the woman from the man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake but the woman for the man's sake. 
Eve was created to be helper to Adam, not the other way around. Therefore, the woman is obligated to have authority on her head because of the messengers. And that's what we talked about yesterday. These We don't want to uh, communicate to the governing officials that we are encouraging rebellious women, encouraging these wives to dishonor their husbands like this, to sleep around, to flaunt their feminist, you know, I'm woman, hear me war, roar kind of nonsense. Now, at this point, it seems to me that Paul is going to do what he does in Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. Whenever he teaches on male headship, he wants to make sure that men do not take this too far. And we'll talk about that. We're going we're gonna to spend some time in Ephesians 5 uh, probably next week. Yes, woman was created for the man. Yes, woman came out of the man. But let's not go too far with this. Don't get too big for your britches here, men. However, in the Lord, he says, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, right? She's taken out of the man. So also man through the woman. Every man he's writing to came from a woman, right? So the original man, Adam, uh, I was going to say gave birth to, but that, that doesn't work. The, the original woman, Eve, came out of the man, Adam. That's true. But after that, every man that exists came out of the woman. So it's like he's saying, don't take this too far. And then he's going to buttress his argument about the head coverings thing. Not... he. he what strikes me here is he never grabs a text of the Old Testament. He never grabs a text of Scripture to, to make his argument here. This is why, one of the things that gives me pause about absolute requirement of head coverings as if that is the main thing uh, because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't grab any, any Scripture or Word of God. He, he now is going to appeal to nature. He says, judge for yourselves. Think about this. Everybody, make your decision here. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? In other words, doesn't it, doesn't it seem right? Doesn't it make sense that a woman should have her hair covered? Well, <clears throat> what do you mean, Paul? Well, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her? Now, my question is, I don't see it exactly. Maybe that's not a question. Uh, does nature teach us that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Do you look out and see long-haired men and say, oh, what a, what a disgrace? At one level, no. I mean, I had, I had long hair in, uh, in college, very long hair. Um, there are pictures that I hope never make the light of day. <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that I just said that? Huh, <laughs> maybe I'm contradicting myself even as I speak. Isn't that interesting? Why would I say that? Did you, did you catch it? <laughs> this was, 
This is this is amusing now to me. I just said, huh. <laughs> so I'm trying to make the point that nature itself does not suggest that long hair is a dishonor to man. And yet, I also said I had very long hair in college. And there are pictures that I hope don't ever make it out. Why would I care about that if there's not some sense of dishonor about those pictures? Wow. Hang on. I have this fascinating moment of self-discovery. Interesting, huh? It is true, I would say, cross-culturally and cross-time, the vast majority of men have shorter hair than women. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Is it a dishonor to have long hair? Uh, we have the whole Nazarite thing, right? The, they were not allowed to cut their hair. So I, it can't be a universal absolute statement. It, it doesn't seem to me, but could Paul just be arguing, look, in general, isn't this true? Men tend to wear shorter hair than women. Now, you know, what what defines long hair, all those questions, I, I, I'm, I don't know, and I wouldn't try to answer that. But it is true that men typically wear shorter hair, and women tend to have longer hair. And we see that even in our rebellious feminist culture, there are some women that love to wear sort of boyish haircuts, but most women, not all, but most women wear long hair. They love their hair and men love them to have long hair. Again, that that's just a statement and observation. I'm not trying to draw hard, fast conclusions about any of this. Paul says, for her hair is given to her for a covering. So I think his argument is, just look around you. Men tend to wear shorter hair. Women have longer hair. It's her glory. God's given her long hair for a covering. Look, even nature itself, this tendency, this 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 uh, fact that women tend to wear longer hair shows you women are inclined to have longer hair. And then he concludes with a very enigmatic statement. Here's what the NAS says. It says, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. That is not what the Greek says. What the Greek says is, if anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor have the churches of God. We have no such practice, no such custom. Now, a lot of the commentators say, well, what he means is we have no such cu custom as being contentious. That doesn't make any sense to me. Of course they're contentious. He's writing a whole, this whole letter because there are all kinds of contentions going on in the churches. And what would that even mean? If anyone's inclined to fight about this, we have no such practice of fighting in the, none of the churches. The churches of God don't have a practice of fighting. Of course they do. All of them do. That's why he writes all these letters, because there's all kind of fighting going on. That, that doesn't make any sense. He started off saying, I'm glad you're, you're following the traditions I handed over to you. It, it seems like custom here has something to do with the head covering. Did, does he conclude this whole discussion with, 
if you're inclined to argue, argue about this, we have no such practice as head coverings. I don't have any idea what verse 16 means. And don't bother saying, obviously, it's we don't have this custom of arguing. That just doesn't work. Uh, at least it doesn't satisfy me. I, that's not true. That, that, that doesn't, uh, doesn't say anything. What, what does he mean we have no such practice? I've looked this word up. It, it occurs a lot of times in the New Testament, and nowhere does it mean other that I could find. It means such. We have no such practice. Such practice as what? All right. I uh, see a couple of comments here. Let me look at these and I'm going to give you my concluding thoughts. Peter says, I think we should also remember Paul seemed to be answering questions from a Corinthians letter that we haven't seen. We don't know the questions and they might have been cultural issues and traditions. Yeah, exactly. That's all throughout 1 Corinthians. We are hearing the other end of a phone call and we don't know what the the other party is uh is saying um oink oink <laughs> says if hair is given for a covering why is an additional covering needed right but if you follow that through the argument it doesn't seem like hair uh, length of hair is his primary concern um so here's what i do with this and you've got to make up your own mind. It seems to me the principles are male headship. Husbands are the head of their wives. That means the husband has authority over his wife. That is unambiguous. And he goes through the list at the beginning. And that's why I've repeated this again and again and again. So that we see that God, Christ, husband, wife. And because of that, when the church gathers, men should certainly do nothing that gives the appearance of disrespecting Christ. But his primary concern here is women. Women must not do anything as the church gathers to display disrespect to her husband. How can you come into this setting where you're going through uh, religious activities, so to speak, praying, prophesying, you're, you're, you're participating in the gathering of the church while displaying a disrespect and a dishonor to your husband. You must not do that. So as I understand it, the head covering, even the hair length is not universal commands but the principle of showing respect and honor to god and to your husband if you're a woman is what's important here so how how might this play out in our day i don't know i don't know maybe uh just careless rebellious words from a wife disrespecting her husband speaking harshly about him you know, complaining about him, um, pointing out all his failures, how he doesn't do this well, doesn't do that well, uh, flaunting her independence. What you know, probably mostly words, because our apparel doesn't communicate so much today, unless it's a T-shirt, like I mentioned earlier, something like that. Um, but that's that's where I land. And again, you may land somewhere else, and that's fine. 
but that's what makes most sense to me. So for men, uh, I would encourage you just be careful that uh, how you present yourself in the gathering of the church, that you don't put on any kind of display that dishonors Christ. And for women, don't put on any display that dishonors your husband. So the question is going to come, what about single women? Well, I'm not convinced this text is speaking about single women. Um, Obviously, all of us should be respectful and not bring dishonor. And it would be sinful for a a single woman to have the attitude, I go where I want, I do what I want, I have sex with whoever I want. No, (laughs) you don't. Uh, Not if you submit to the Lord Jesus, you don't. So it would be wrong for her to wear such t-shirt, but it wouldn't be disrespecting her husband because she didn't have one. And that seems to be the the primary concern here in this text in my mind. Uh, one more from Oink Oink, and then I'm going to call it a day. A lot of Corinthians appear to be uh, a need to be orderly and concerned with your presentation of the church and its faith to outsiders and to others. Uh, if I'm understanding what you're saying here correctly, yeah, they're there's a Corinthians, the church in Corinth was a mess. And you're right. There's a lot of uh, sin among the gathering. And then the the world certainly can look at them and get, and get a very false impression of what it means to be a Christian. So if that's what you're getting at, yeah, I, I totally agree. So this raises the question, which we'll come back to tomorrow. If I'm right, then the expectation is that women, when the church gathers, are to participate, at least in praying and prophesying. Praying and prophesying require us to use words. Well, in just a couple of chapters or so, in this same letter, Paul's going to say, women are to be silent and not say any words in the gathering of the church. So what do we do with that? Well, come back tomorrow. And we'll see if I can confuse you at a much higher level about women in the church. (laughs) So we'll have some more fun. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.